You're listening to Habs Culture, a Montreal Canadiens podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Habs Culture and on Twitter at Habs underscore culture to stay on track with news and updates. Episode 38 of the Habs Culture podcast. My name is Mark Anthony Bertaggia. I'm alongside Justin Schwartz. And of course, there's never a dull moment in Montreal. We've been doing this podcast for almost a year now. In March, it'll be almost a year. And as a podcast, as a unit, we have gone through three head coaches, two general managers, and a new executive vice president of hockey operations, which was a role that never existed. But now it's here, all in the span of less than a year. So if we were searching for content, well, we got it. Because this past past few days have been a very busy 48 hours in Montreal. Dominique Ducharme has been relieved of his duties after leaks on Twitter were saying so. Um, after a 7-1 seven, seven to one, seven, seven to one loss against the New Jersey Devils, which was absolutely embarrassing. Uh, people like Tony Marinaro were saying on the show that on TSN 690 that they felt change was coming, that uh, something was going to happen. And it ended up happening, what are we today? Friday, it happened, was it Thursday? And I'm on Thursday, yeah. God, it's already been, God, everything, so, everything happened so quick. So Thursday, it was Thursday afternoon, the Canadians relieved Dominic Sherman of his duties. He hasn't been a coach for a year with the Habs, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, this year, they have eight wins in 40-something games. I should have checked these stats. But the question was, at the time, Who's going to replace him? So we'll put you guys in context. I was at work texting Justin, sending him screenshots of everything that's happening on Twitter. He's texting me back. What's going to happen? And the Canadians memo said that they fired Ducharme and that the head coach would be announced later on today. That never happens in Montreal, or at least the past era. The Bridgman era, nothing leaked. First of all, nothing ever leaked. So here's my guess is that someone said something that they weren't supposed to say. And the perfect scenario would have been fire Ducharme and announce who's going to replace him all in one shot. But they couldn't do that because it was all over Twitter already. The memo comes out. And and we have to wait a few hours to see who the new guy is. And I had, I don't know about you, but I had zero idea of potential candidates. Oh, I had zero idea. And to be honest with you, when you were texting me, it was so funny because look, like I, I have a, I have a genuinely busy schedule, but, but I happened to be in class for the one, one thing that I would have wanted to have my, you know, my full attention devoted to for an hour and a half. And I wasn't checking Snapchat, so I didn't see what was going on in the group chat, but I did see, I did see your text. And I think, I think you noticed that I wasn't seeing what was going on in the group chat. So you had sent it via text. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was freaking out. And I turned to my, to my friend next to me and I was like, the one time, man, the one time something interesting goes, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's always, there's never a dull moment, like you mentioned, but like something juicy. And, um, but yeah, I had no idea. I had zero idea what was, what was to happen next. And to be honest with you, Mark, and, and I want to hear what you have to say about this, but, I, but I genuinely thought that the next coach of the Montreal Canadiens for the remainder of the season was probably going to be, uh, Luke Richardson as interim. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and just to get back. So the Habs had eight wins in 45 games played when Ducharme was relieved of his duties. I, my, exactly. My first instinct was Luke, Luke Richardson. 
why not? Because as an interim role, you'll have more availabilities for coaches in the offseason, right? When guys get fired, when people quit, whatever happens. Um, but we now forgot, or at the moment we forgot, that we have a general manager and a president of hockey operations who wanted to think outside the box. And I think they they thought outside of the the world. They thought they out thought of the universe. out of the universe for uh, this one. Um, so I'll give credit to what I saw on Twitter, and I send it to you right away from Incarcerated Bob. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know this guy honestly shoots out everything. a bunch of rumors, and he hits on some, misses on a lot. Right. But this one, he just said that Marty Saint Louis was in the race to become or a candidate to become the coach of the Montreal Canadiens. So I sent to you, and we were obviously like, oh, my God, the Hall of Famer. Or what? Or like, uh, how is this happening? What? Because we had Patrick Roy in mind, Guy Boucher. You know, the typical recycling of, of coaches, even though Patrick Roy has never been our coach. But, you know, the typical. And then it was really until uh, Marc-Olivier Baudouin. I don't know who he works for. But on Twitter says that he has been told that Marty St. Louis is going to become the next head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. And next thing you know, the Canadians send out their tweet and their memo saying that they've hired Martin Saint-Louis, Hall of Fame hockey player, Quebec native, to be the coach on an interim basis for the Montreal Canadiens. To me, like right now, it's still surreal. I, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense what has happened in the past 48 hours. Yeah, it, it happened so quickly, Mark. Like Martin Saint-Louis. It felt like honestly, it hasn't even been, it felt that long since he's retired. It felt like I just watched him on the ice. That's and, and you know what hit me yesterday when I saw Gallagher being like I think it was Saint Louis whispering into Gallagher's ear or like telling him something on the bench, mm. and I was just like, "Didn't he play against him? Like, what's going on?" Like, it's Marte Saint Louis. Like, I don't know. It, it still feels surreal to me. And like, obviously, when there's a coaching change, it gets a while to get used to the guy who was behind the bench. I still remember because it hasn't been that long when Ducharme got promoted right sitting here and we were listening to that press conference and we were going yeah because he he promised offensive change he promised new things offensively dynamic things for dynamic players yet they were scoring less than they were under julian which made no sense their record was even worse but he brought us the furthest anyone has in the stanley cup playoffs since 93 so he got his extension and I think best case scenario for Gordon and Hughes, like they said, would, would have been to keep him here until the end of the season, even though they knew they were going to fire him. Um, but it was getting out of control, like development-wise, it made no sense. Oh, not none players. at all. And and on that same vein, I mean, look, we could we could sit here all we want and tell ourselves, well, look, if Montreal is trying to lose, which which seems to be the case at this point in the season, right? We can both agree on that. Yeah. I think there's a consensus on that then why not keep you charm and, and allow them to lose? And you know what? I, and I've had this conversation with an abundance of people, including yourself. And, and the truth is, is that it's not fair. Yes. Yes. It, it's, it's fine to lose. And, and we can both agree with that, but, but it's also not fair to allow these young players to develop like they are at, under Ducharme. Mm-hmm. And th- these players are, are the cornerstone pieces to this franchise going forward. And we, and we know that we're heading towards a rebuild a potential rebuild. And with that being said, I mean, these players are so important to this team going forward that if you ruin them so quickly and ruin their development and, and 
don't allow them to flourish in a, in said environment, then then they're not going to end up being the corner yeah. pieces of the team. And who are going to be the, the corner pieces for this team? Like if that was the it was too fragile for me. And that's why I said, look, letting go of Ducharme is so necessary at this point in time, d- regardless of who they bring in next. It's just it's about the development of the young players. It, it was a man who lost the room. Players who weren't getting the message. The message wasn't getting across. And look, I'm not a, a huge Normand Flynn fan. He said some very controversial things over the past few years. Uh, just to name a few, he wanted to trade Nick Suzuki for Wayne Simmons. Uh, he wanted to trade Cole Caulfield for Nico Heischer. But most recently, he said that um, if Ducharme wanted to either prove to management that, you know, I still have this room or I still have control over these players, Jeff Petrie should have never played a shift for the rest of the game after Montembeau got railed behind the net. He should have sat him or he should have sent him to the locker room and said, get, un- get undressed. And honestly, that I agree with that point. Because now the players are going out there thinking, even if I make a bad breakout pass, even if I turn over the puck in the neutral zone or at the blue line, nothing's going to happen to me. There's no accountability. So players are just going out there doing their thing. And, uh, and clearly you saw that they didn't know how to play under or they didn't want to play under a system. The message was getting across. And change uh, was necessary. And they bring in a guy, a Hall of Famer, whose last coaching job was for a peewee team. But look, I don't think that's an issue. I think, honestly, he's here to stay. And a lot of people are saying, I think Friedman mentioned it on the show on Sportsnet, that um, you know he might just be here on an interim basis just to to see who, who would be good for the rebuild or to stay in the long run as players. I, I think he's going to stay here for a while, St. Louis. I think he's going to do a good job. Honestly, I have, I have a lot of faith in him. I think he can turn this thing around. Not this so, season, but right. you know what I mean? And so do I. And, and to be honest with you, again, like, and, and people can come at us with, with the comment saying, well, you're bringing on a guy who, again, the, 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 common, the common theme here is you're bringing on a guy who's only coached peewee hockey and now you're putting him in, in a head coaching role in Montreal. And look, I'm not, this is not a biased opinion whatsoever. If this were to happen to any other team, I would make the exact same comment. It's about a different perspective. And I know we talk about perspective a lot, and you can call it a generic comment all you want. But Ducharme was very tunnel vision. It was very much about a system that he had in place. And regardless of the situation of the game, whether you're down 3-2 or you're up 5-1, it was very much the same play style. And you notice that, right? It was very much oh, you're down 3-2 and there needs to be some urgency, but all you see is a guy dumping in the puck with no chase. Mm-hmm. How does that make any sense, right? Yeah. So, and look, I know it's been one game and I'm not going to judge based off one game. But the, what I did see a lot of is a lot of flexibility and a lot of go with the flow and 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 dictate the, and sorry, dictate your actions based on the situation of the game, based on the state of the game. And that's something that I really like to see because again, we'll get into Caulfield in a few minutes, I'm sure. But Caulfield's a guy that thrives on his on his um, creativity and, and his skill. And if he's playing a specific system where he's told what to do 20, like for 60 minutes where he can't leave his little box, his little Mm -hmm. zone. I I just, I just don't see that working out for a young player with so much creativity and skill. Exactly. And and that goes for a lot of other players on this team. Yeah. And on that note, we'll bring up a, a quote from Marty St. Louis press conference, his first one. Uh, he was alongside Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes for this press conference. By the way, for those who watched it, 
I don't know why I noticed these things. And it's honestly like really weird that I do. But they had like TVs behind them. You know, usually it's like a, a sheet with the Habs logos and right. intact insurance. Yeah, yeah. Now it was like TVs. Okay. Like but every like other... of themselves? No, no, of the of the Habs logos. It just it was oh. electronic. Like a lot of other teams have it, even in all sports. Like it's like nice panels. It just looks okay. better. Anyways. Well, Chantal Maccabé doing her finest yeah, yeah. work, right? And they were actually showing the people asking questions. Yeah, like they're actually cool. showing them, which was like, okay, you get to see who the reporter is instead of just hearing them. Anyways, so here's the clip. Hopefully, it sounds good. But uh, it's it's about Martin Saint Louis talking about systems in the National Hockey League and his view and perception on them. Uh, playing with a little more instinct, uh, with ideas of how, how we want to be as a team. Um, now there is structure inside concepts. You know, systems you can say structure. When systems, you box players in into only certain things they can do and 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 that was probably one of the things that i hated the most as a player is play in a system where i i was a great player when i was allowed to make reads because the best players make the best reads but if you take the reads out of the equation those best players become average so i want to make sure that i allow my best players to make reads and i rather them make a bad one than not making a read at all and sometimes in systems there's not much reads uh, so exactly like you just said it's literally exactly what you just said and the two players that come to mind are one Cole Caulfield for obvious reasons and two Alexander Romanov like he said he, he'd rather a guy make a mistake than not do anything at all and play under a system that limits his possibilities of making a big hit or a big play Romanov's that type of guy who sometimes he was feared to do something feared to make a stretch pass Feared to hit to lay the body, and now, hopefully, he'll have the opportunity to do so under this system or under this. What's the word he used? Concept. Yeah, he was using concept. Yeah, concept exactly. But Mark, even on that same vein, right? We could talk about guys like Kale Clegg and you know Sammy Niku isn't around yeah. all that much recently. But but the point being is that these players, again, like we saw under Ducharme, and again, like it was more from a from a uh, fan perspective here that it seemed as if that they were scared to make mistakes, and it's normal when you're being put under a microscope. For, for 60 minutes of play. But now, like, the way that Martin St. Louis speaks, and again, we're going, we're, we're going based off what he said in a press conference and based off one, one game where he didn't really have the time to, you know, like, put, put, his, put his, like, magic to work. We'll put it that way. But, but these players, like a Kale Clegg and a Romanov and a, and a Niku and a, and, and a Caulfield, are players that thrive in environments where they could, you know, change the play with their heads and, and use their heads to, to make a different read, as he said. So I, I, think, I think that that's so important for a hockey team. And I think that you do see that a lot within, uh, within, within other hockey teams as well, uh, like Tampa and Minnesota and, uh, and a team like uh, the Panthers, for example. Like all the, they have all these players that are just able to you know, kind of adjust to certain situations which which allows them to be such good hockey teams. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I'm honestly, I'm honestly really excited to see um, what he's going to do with this team. Um, I think it's just it was just a fresh mindset, a guy who seems motivated. Um, I'm not saying that Ducharme wasn't motivated when he came here or didn't seem motivated. I'm not saying Jidane didn't seem motivated. But it's just a guy who's gone through a lot of adversity. Adver- adversity, adversity. My God, I can't even say that word. 
um, throughout his career. You know, a guy was small. But I truly think he's here to stay, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, but at the end of the day, it's been a very busy 48 hours in Montreal. And it, I'm still taking, I'm still processing it because in the moment when you're on Twitter refreshing things and going through everything, it's like, it's like, oh, he got fired, he got hired. They're replacing him. Oh, maybe this guy's going to come in as AGM. And all, you're just processing information. You're not actually realizing what's going on that the Canadians just hired a Hall of Fame coach or a Hall of Fame player as their coach in Marie St. Louis, a guy who we didn't even think of. And obviously, Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes are a guy that they trust, that they respect. They know of him. They either uh, Jeff Gordon was with him with the Rangers in the same organization. Ken Hughes' connections to him, he coached against him back in the day. So they burn a guy they trust. And honestly, you're now you're now starting to see as a fan base, an, uh, a vice president of hockey operations, a general manager, and now a coach who are all one. They're all one unit. Something that we've never seen before. We always saw a general manager who had their guy as their coach. But now you have three guys running the ship that are that I hope have the same mindset, and I think they do, whether it comes to player development, whether it comes to culture in this organization and bringing back that winning culture. So I think the future is bright in Montreal. Uh, it's going to take some time, but I think they're there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I, agree, I agree with you fully. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to get back into it. Like what you said was exactly kind of like exactly what I was thinking, to be honest with you. But it, it's really just great to, to look like we've both played hockey for a long time and it was never necessarily at a inc- crazy high level. But the one thing that I always notice is that when, when a coach would come up to you and look like I know that you're a goalie, so it's a little bit different. But when mm-hmm. a coach would come up to you and say, look, go out there and do your thing, have fun and and. And, and work your hardest and, and don't, and don't worry about necessary. Like, let, let's say you're going into the third period and it's, and it's four one. And, and he says, you know, go out there, work your hardest and do your thing. All of a sudden you start to ease up. You start, the, the tension is gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of these players are feeling right now. They were playing under such a strict system with Ducharme. And now you're going to a guy like St. Louis, who's, who even said in his presser, look, I want this team to have fun. There's very little expectations, but I want this team to have fun and play hockey the right way and not, and there's not a specific way to play hockey, but but there are ways to, you know, adapt to certain situations, like he mentioned so many times. So mm. I think that's so important. And like, look, I don't want a coach that necessarily like doesn't give, like doesn't care about the team. Like, but he seems like so motivated to turn this team around. Again, not this season, but going forward. So yeah. to be honest, again, after one game, my initial reaction is that I don't I don't know if this interim tag thing is going to be. Uh, I, I think that this will be lifted starting next season but that's my that's my initial reaction to yeah. what i've seen slash heard he seems very convincing um and i just my hopes is that the canadians right now with saint louis have their guy then only the players when they retire look back and say that was one guy i loved playing for marty saint louis just like players say about john tortorella there's some that hated it but there's some that loved playing under tortorella a guy like mm-hmm. saint louis loved playing under tortorella um there's that aspect of it. And, you know, there's there's always that one team that has their coach. And he's a part of... There's, look, there's Edmonton where they... Where Nugent Hopkins is going to be his 12th coach in 13 years. There's Montreal where, where you feel like you're always recycling coaches. 
And there's a bunch of other teams where they do the same thing. But then there's teams like Boston, where they had Julien for I don't know how long. When you thought of Claude Julien, you thought of the Boston Bruins. When you thought of the Bruins, you thought of Julien. Then they brought in Cassidy, and it's the same thing now. It's like, mm-hmm. I came in, and they're doing amazing ever since. And you think of the Bruins, you think of Cassidy, vice versa. Yeah, you're absolutely right with that, too. So why, why, why can't we have that? And I just hope the Canadians can finally have that coach who lasts seven, eight years. You know, a guy, I look, I'm, I'm again, this guy just got hired. Yeah. But I'm just saying, let's hope that with new management and with that, it's not a, every three to four years you're changing again, you're changing perspective, changing. Let's build something from now. So then five years, this same coach has Suzuki, Caulfield, Romanov in his prime. And then you're just, when, when you go to Bruins training camp as a rookie, in five years when you're elite, an elite player, it should be the same system. Right. It shouldn't be changed. Exactly. That's how you build a winning organization. That everyone knows that system, whether they're coming in as a rookie or whether they've been there for 10 years. 100% right. I right? couldn't agree with you more. And and even just on this topic again, like I, I want to like talk about Ducharme for a second because this is something that, I, that I've, that's really been like sticking with me for the past couple of days now. One thing about St. Louis that I really love and again, like it might, it might seem obvious, but it's that he commands respect Mm -hmm. and no disrespect to Don Ducharme, but his resume coming into Montreal is, is very short. He he's, he's won his, his world juniors championship and he's won in the QMJHL. Great. But there's not much else to add to that. And again, he played, sorry, his teams, like he, the teams that he had were unbelievable, not only on paper, but, but on the ice as well. Yeah. A guy like Marty St. Louis, again, we know that he doesn't have much coaching experience, but what he does have is more than a thousand games played in the NHL and he's a future hall of famer. Now you might, and, and we can have the conversation all day and I'll agree with you on this is the fact that that doesn't necessarily translate to a coaching job. And, and I can hundred percent agree with that. But what I will say is that when he speaks, you listen. And when not only, not only do you listen, but you make sure that the next time that you go on the ice, you apply that to your game mm-hmm. because this guy knows what he's talking about. He knows how to play the game properly. And again, we have to remember that this guy defied the odds at every single level. He's a five, seven, five, eight forward. Who's going to go down as one of the, probably one the best player at that height ever. And look, I, I don't know how many players there are at that height, but the yeah. point is, is that it's so incredible what he was able to do again, constantly defying the odds. So I think that, when he speaks, you listen. I'm not saying that when Ducharme spoke, you didn't listen, but I think that it became repetitive to a lot of the players and it yeah. became just in one ear and out the other. Look, Caulfield said it already. Petrie mentioned something about the defensive system. Like when he speaks, I, I'm going to say it one more time. You listen and, yeah. and you apply it to your game in that next shift. And, and it looked like that last night. Yeah, we'll get on to Petrie a little bit later on. Um, I think the most important thing about this coaching change, and if we're going to look at it through a Jeff Gordon perspective is that um, these players need their value to be shot up in the, within the next few weeks. And every time, every period that Ducharme was behind that bench, their value just kept going down. Every single player just kept going down. So I think there was a light bulb that rung or a bell that rung in there in both their heads, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, that they needed to change solely, well, for one of the main purposes, that of which making trades at the deadline. So... We'll move on to exactly that aspect. We had both Kent Hughes, the GM, and the Vice President Jeff Gordon next to Martin St. Louis, along with Chantal Maccabé. Um, But uh, Kent Hughes, first of all, when he speaks, um, it was his second time in front of the media. He seems like a guy who 
is ready to take on this challenge, first of all. That's one. Mm-hmm. He seems like that guy was a plan. That's two. And he just seems very, um, like, he's not going to take shit from anyone. Like, right. some people ask him questions and he answers straight up. Like, I'm not saying anyone else does, like, Bergevin didn't. I'm sure he didn't. But he seems like the guy is ready for the challenge. Jeff Gordon, that's pretty obvious. That guy just constantly <laughs> looks like, I'm going to tell you. Like, yeah, don't, yeah, exactly. It's strictly business. Ready to go. He had he had a translator in his ear, which I which I loved. No you way, know, I didn't I, even see that. Yeah, he had something in his ear, and I'm like, what's he? What is that? I thought it was a translator at first, but I'm like, can be. And then Eric Engels asked him like, you've you've been quiet, so I'm gonna ask you a question. And he like pulled something out of his ear. He's like, sorry, I've been listening to a translator this whole time. No way. And I'm like, you know what? Like, this is a man, a man who's very high high up in hockey, who could have gone anywhere in America to be a general manager or a vice president of hockey operations. He chose Montreal, knowing there's going to be a language barrier. So he's making the effort. And I think that's, yeah, that I says a lot. That. You know what I mean? It says a lot. And I think it says a lot about um, how they're going to approach the situation, knowing how important. Like, he clearly knows how important it is, how important winning is in Montreal. If he's going to make the whole effort of coming over here to a new country with a whole new language just to see the Montreal Canadiens succeed, I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to make us succeed. I, th- I think I. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that, that you know this I mean? management team is going to make it happen. He's, he's on a mission, clearly. Kent Hughes, he's from here, so he knows how important it is. But for an American to come here and have a translator in his ear, that means he wants us to win. I, so I think that's super important. I, I agree with that. Um, but uh, we'll talk a bit about this, and we'll do a little mock trade if you have any opinions on uh, anything. Um, the 32 Thoughts, the podcast, we have Elliot Friedman who mentioned two uh, big names in the Habs, uh, one in Tartafoli and one in Christian Dvorak. Um, Tartafoli, we've been talking about this for a while now. It's a very iffy case because his value is high on the trade market, but it's also high in the locker room for Jake Evans and Nick Suzuki, for example. Mm-hmm. Calgary is apparently super high on this guy. What would you want in return for Tartafoli? Like, what's your. It has to be this or it's nothing. This or higher? What's the bar? And we mentioned this before we we spoke we started recording. Yeah. So you can mention that name if you well, want. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to necessarily mention the name, but I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give like a like a ballpark here. I would say a first a first and a prospect potentially. Yeah. I mm-hmm. really don't look. I think that in this market, and I'm not going to go into it like too much in depth here, but I think that in this market, especially a team like Calgary who has such a great top six, but adding that one piece that can like look like we we've seen look. In Montreal, Tyler Toffoli always had an elevated role. But if you go back to his days, his days, if you go back to a couple of years ago when he played in Vancouver as a second, second tier player on that team, he thrived. And I see that being mm-hmm. the, a similar case in Calgary or in LA potentially. But the point being is that I, I do think that a first round pick would be necessary in this case. There's no doubt in my mind. And if they can squeeze something else in, I would not be a, like that. Take it, you know? Yeah. So there's the three names. Um, so there, there's Jacob Peltier, which I think would be amazing return. If you can get him in a first, I, I, I'd honestly make that deal. Yeah, of course I would. I, I, I don't know deal. if they're willing. I don't. I wonder if they're willing to do so. I feel like that that might be a lot. Um, Dustin Wolf is their best prospect. He's a goalie, goalie correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but apparently he's an untouchable in any trade. Interesting. Uh, and I don't blame them because they've had troubles before Markstrom finding goalies. Um, so if you can keep that one, I would, if I were them. Can I, can I bring up a random stat of the day here? 
Yeah, go ahead. You know that Markstrom accounts for ten and a half percent of all shutouts in the NHL this season. He has eight, no? Yeah, but how crazy is that? He has the same amount as Habs wins. <laughs> shutouts. That's it's crazy. Like it's, it's, it's really insane. Crazy. Again, he has a great team in front of him, but but still eight mm-hmm. shutouts. That's like you you know from a goalie perspective, that's insane. Yeah, and then there's a uh, Connor Zary. Yeah, Zary. Yeah. Remember him from yeah, Team Canada? He, uh, team Canada. Yeah, he's a good good hockey player. But I think again, it, you go, you try to attack Pelche. If it's not him, you move on, you go somewhere else. LA, obviously, the number one guy in our head is Turcotte. Imagine mm-hmm. playing him with Caulfield. Imagine him, uh, him, Caulfield, and uh, Farrell. Stop getting my hopes up here. The the, the U.S. boys, Farrell. Oh, we'll t- we can talk. Oh, we'll talk about him now. Three goals, two assists in his first ever Olympian game or Olympic game. And um, I don't know, <laughs> Olympic game, I guess. Um, Olympian game. Olympi- <laughs> Olympic game. Um, second most points put up by an, uh, an American player for Team USA in the Olympics ever. In one yeah, game. No. So like the, the record six, he put he put up five. That's incredible. Which is amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. He looks like a stud. He looks like an absolute stud. Yeah. It's exciting, especially and and again, like another undersized kid, right? Yeah, but a, a guy bit. who's proven he can score at every level. Oh, absolutely, and mm-hmm. uh, like Caulfield can too, right? Like the point is, yeah. is that like I I just love that we're trending towards like who cares your of your height? Like you could be you could be five foot two for all I care. Yeah, if you could put the puck in the net, like great. Yeah, exactly. Christian Dvorak, and I want to hear your opinion on this because this is a guy. Honestly, <laughs> if I'm the GM. Anything over a second round pick, I move him. I'm not even joking when I say this. Okay, hold on. I, I want I want to stop you right there, just because I don't I don't disagree with you, but I do think that a lot of I, I think. Look, we play fantasy. I think mm-hmm. this is a buy low situation. It 100 is. Dvorak has had a awful season. It doesn't it doesn't get worse really. But the point being is that we've seen what he's been able to do in an Arizona market. Like he's a he's a fringe second line center. But but a strong third line center. Yeah. And and any contending team knows that, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in need of one. Look, I don't disagree with you. Anything over a second makes sense. But I do also think that we have to keep in mind that like he's at his worst right now. So I yeah. think that Gordon and Hughes might need to be cautious and say, like, look, like he's first of all, he's barely been playing. And when he plays, he hasn't been proving anything to us. But the thing is, like, we might need him to to you know, I don't even know how you would do it, right? It's not NHL GM. You can't sim a week. Yeah. But but you, you know, <laughs> you, you you need him to to prove something right before the deadline, so that it's like, oh, like this guy, this guy can really bring us something and, and maybe make, give us a push in the playoffs because I do think he's that type of player. He's at his worst, but his value is at his highest, if you know what I mean, as you a Montreal so? Canadian, because it's the deadline and because it's so recent that he's done good in the NHL. If you wait a year and he still plays like this. Then people are going to say, you know what? Maybe he did turn a corner and he's not playing the same. Right. If you trade him at the deadline, you can try and convince a GM saying, look, you saw what he did in Arizona. He's only been here in Montreal for a few months. He clearly doesn't want to be here. I'm sure he'll turn it around. And maybe get one of your picks back from that trade. You know what I mean? At least look, you can I, get one back. I, I, look, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. And, and I do think that, of course, like we, we, can, we can speculate all we want. And there's so many what, if, what ifs, excuse me. But like, like if we look at it now, remember we had the conversation. Like, should Montreal first of all let KK go? That's a different conversation. But then, mm-hmm. who? What should they give up for Dvorak? Now, I think we can both agree at this point and the way that he's played and what he's contributed to this team, it has been an overpay. 
But the point being is that I do think that we have to be cautious and we're in a case where we are sellers and there is high demand for players and especially a third line center who can provide some offense and defense like that two-way type of style. So yes, I do agree. Anything over a second, I say, let's move on from Christian Dvorak. But at the same time, I think that he might demand a little bit more in this market. Mm-hmm. Um, in this conversation that I'm about to have with you, we'll talk a bit about um, Jeff Petrie. But in the past few episodes, we've spoken a lot about accelerating the rebuild slash retool process and how this year can either keep it at a pace where it's going to take five years or it can accelerate to the to a point where it could take two years. A lot like the New York Rangers did, and Kent Hughes mentioned it. He mentioned the New York Rangers in the press conference about Marty St. Louis saying that if there's a hockey trade that can be made, they're going to make that trade. A lot like Broussard for Zabinijad. That's not a rebuild slash retool trade. That's a hockey trade. Mm-hmm. So if they can find that, that would be huge. But I'm going to put you in a scenario here. And this is the absolute best case scenario of any trade that would happen. Okay. And I'm going to make it too difficult on me, Mark. I'm going to try and prove to you and to the listeners how important this deadline could be if you max the value of every single player you're going to trade and how it can accelerate the process. So okay. we'll start off with our trade Lekkonen. Sure. Let's say you trade Arturi Lekkonen in a second-round pick to the New York Rangers for Vitaly Kravstov in a third-round pick. Sure. Okay? I don't know what the value is. I'm not a GM. I don't know. But I'm just saying something where Arturi Lekkonen goes one way, Kravstov comes the other way. Okay. So now you have Kravstov. Okay? Mm-hmm. Let's go to Ben Sherratt. Let's say you trade Ben Sherratt to the Florida Panthers in exchange for a first-round pick, and Henrik Borkstrom. Okay. There's your center. Your young center who can fight with Palin for that third spot. Yeah, and he's mobile, right? Like you Internal competition is what you need. need. Right. And you get your first-round pick. Okay. So now you have two first-round picks in this year's draft, Kravstov and Borkstrom. Okay. Now we switch gears to um, who else on the block? Tyler Toffoli. Okay, yeah. Let's say you trade Tyler Toffoli and you get Jacob Peltier and a first-round pick. Now you have Peltier, Kravstov. Bjorkstrom and three Borkstrom and three first-round picks in this year's draft. Okay. Jeff Petrie, who has the highest value technically out of all these players if he's at his top level. And let's say we move him to Dallas. Let's say you move, Dallas. Let's say you move him back to his home state of Michigan. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Where he, where he wants to be with his family. And there's a guy struggling in Detroit who goes by the name of Philip Zadina. And I personally don't like the kid. I don't like it. I don't like when a kid comes out of the draft and says, I'm going to fill their nets up with pucks because they didn't pick me, blah, blah, blah. Right. I hate arrogant guys. But he's talented. So I'm just saying, what if you go to them no. and you ask for Philip Zadina and two second round picks so you don't have to retain? And Mark, and Mark, I, I get exactly what you're getting at. And like, I really couldn't agree more. I, I know exactly what you mean, right? It's like, it's like you're, you're accelerating a process that mm-hmm. could have been five years. And now you're maybe bringing it down to two. Two, right? Exactly. And it's, the, and, it's, and it's the fact that Montreal on paper is not a terrible hockey team. And I want to emphasize that, like, because if we look at the team that Montreal had in the playoffs last season, right? 
they weren't a ba- look. They played way better than they, than they are on paper, but they're not a bad hockey team. You have the likes of Josh Anderson to fully look. I could go on and on. We both know the team on paper, but mm-hmm. the point is that there are assets and valuable assets to these contending teams. And with that being said, right, like we know the trade market, especially when you get close to the deadline, and the amount of value that you could get back is so much different near the trade deadline than, for example, potentially in the off season or or even maybe week one of the season, right? Like yeah. it varies, and it's it's about time and place and and when you pull the trigger and I a hundred percent agree with you that making these trades and look, Sherratt demands value. Lekkinen demands value. Petrie dema- demands value. And even, even a guy like Dvorak might demand some value. Kulak might fetch you a fourth rounder. The point is, is that we have so many movable players to the point where this pool of prospects plus draft picks can really make this process so much shorter than yeah. it has to be. We didn't even cover the picks. What if you land the first overall pick in this scenario? So you have three other first-round picks from other teams. You have Shane Wright, you have Kravstov, Zadina, Borgstrom, Peltier. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like, how did how did Ottawa get Norris? No one thought about Norris when they when they acquired him from San Jose and Carlson deal. No mm-hmm. one thought of, they got Stutzla and Norris out of that one deal. If you think of it, and you they know got what's Stutzla even and Norris, and you know what's even more encouraging, Mark, like uh, on that point, is the fact that now we're going to speculate. That Montreal has the development team, or mm-hmm. like going like going in the right direction to be able to develop whoever they bring back, right? Yeah. Because we have to keep in mind, like a guy like Pelletier, great hockey player, like amazing hockey player. But if Montreal happens to not do their job properly and 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 crash his value and not allow him to flourish in a specific environment, then Jacob Pelletier is not as valuable as when we acquired him previously. So the point is, is that. Yeah. With this team going in the right direction development-wise, it allows Montreal to take in these younger players and say, look, like we have the, the, we have the team to be able to develop. Now let's bring in these players and, and make something out of them and, 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 and use them to our advantage, right? So it's exciting. Like It's a little bit exciting because now it's like, who are we going to get back for a charade? Like I, I even saw, I don't, I, I'm sure you follow Puck Empire on Instagram, yeah. but um, they did like a, a mock trade deadline for Montreal. And look, there's a couple things that I didn't agree with, but because they, they said like Petrie for two seconds. Like, I think that you could get a little bit more than that. Yeah, I think we can I both agree. But they, but they said, for example, Sherratt to St. Louis for Clint Costin and a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. th- like Clint Costin's a young guy. He's versatile within the lineup. Like that's the type of trade that you kind of want to make and then stack up on those types of trades like you just mentioned and then move from there and accelerate the process. But those those prospects are going to be identified by Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon. It could be anyone. It could be if you go to Nashville. If you want to trade to Nashville, because there's rumors about them wanting Petrie. There's Zachary Lehrer. There's a Luke Evangelista. Though, but I don't know. I don't know much about these players. Like I don't know much. But that's going to be the role of of Kent Hughes is to target those, target that Josh Norris, find that Josh Norris, and target that team, right? If you target that that, that one prospect, then you target them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just like how did Bergevin target Suzuki? Why was it Suzuki that he targeted? Well, Why yeah. wasn't it Robert Thomas of St. Louis? Why wasn't it Jordan Cairo of St. Louis? Why wasn't it Cody Glass of Vegas? He targeted Suzuki, right? Right. So if, if they could find that that prospect and then build around the trade, obviously add picks and whatever, and they have so many guys that they could do that with. Yeah, with Lekin and Sherrod Petrie, you can find, and if you if you end up trading to full, you better get a big haul. So right, I didn't even name the kid, the guy. Sorry, <laughs> the like kid. they could they could really, 
yeah, they could really get some some good things out of this if they do it properly. If they I, don't do it properly, I, then then whatever. It's and and it's problem. funny because right, and and it's funny because like you know everyone like look, it, it's not it's not ideal to be a house fan right now, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's it's a crappy period of time, like in terms yeah. of standings and and wins and whatever. But we have to keep in mind that like Montreal has never been this bad to the point where it it has allowed this organization to do what we're about to do. They've never been right? this bad. But but that's the point, right? So it's like <laughs> we're this bad to the point where it's like the, the the organization has no choice but to say, okay, look, like you guys are gone and there's no yeah. there's no way around it. So with mm-hmm. that being said, it's like they're they're gonna demand some value. And I think that like it's crazy to me. Like, do I think Sherrod, after watching him for three years, do I believe Sherrod is worth a first plus? Maybe, maybe not. But the point is, is that other teams believe so. Yeah, and that's exactly. all that matters. That's all that matters. It's the fact that a team's gonna say, when I enter the playoffs and I'm going up against Tampa Bay, Carolina, I want to make sure I have that guy who makes the small things, the small plays that'll allow me to win that game seven. And if right. it costs me a first round pick to get to the, the Eastern Conference Finals, you have to do it because it lands, it keeps your job. You keep your job because doing that. Right. Um. So look, it's gonna be very exciting. Um, to see who they target. Mm-hmm. We didn't even talk about LA. No. Like, they, like if they want um, to Foley, look, I'm I, if I'm if I'm Rob Blake, there's no chance I'm trading Turcotte for Toffoli. But that's the guy you call for. That's right, and, the and, guy you call for. And worst thing, worst case scenario, he says no, and you move on to the next team. You move on to the or the next prospect on the list. Right. But you try and find that guy, who it doesn't have to be the biggest name, but you find that guy who's going to make a difference in a few it's, years. It's the diamond in the rough, right? And, mm-hmm, and I think exactly. we could both agree, like a guy like Kyrie, Robert Thomas, Nick Suzuki at the time, look, Cody Glass didn't pan out to what they expected, but the point is that these guys are the, like I'm just mentioning who you mentioned before, like these mm-hmm. guys are the guys that you go after and say, look, like you're not so, like y- you might be high on him, but you know that giving him up for a chance at the cup is is what it, it is. If that's what it takes, so be it. Exactly. So you have to, you, ha- you have all the leverage in this type of situation, right? Like a Toffoli is a former 30 goal scorer, thir- 30 goal score last year. Sherratt playing probably at his, his best hockey right now. Like you have all these guys with so much leverage in these deals where you can maximize your return. And if you can maximize your return in this state for Montreal, like we mentioned before, this process is, is accelerated. Especially if you can sell to Brad Trailieven in Calgary, that Talata Foley is going to be the secondary scoring you need to get over the hump because he's been there for a while, Trailieven. Mm-hmm. And he's at that same core who hasn't had success either in the regular season or in the playoffs. Yeah, like they should have made the playoffs last year. That was a good hockey team, and they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, and they're a stingy if, team. Like, if you can sell the idea that if Goudreau, ha- Goudreau has Goudreau, if uh, if Johnny Hockey, there you go, has a bad night because you know Barkley Goudreau and then Johnny Goudreau, oh, yeah. Then, yeah. Um, <laughs> if if he has a bad night, Monahan isn't the same player that he used to be. Let's be real. Yeah, too bad. But if if Lindholm has a bad night, Toffoli's there. And if you can sell that idea that even in the playoffs he'll be there, and if you have your first line going and your second line going, you're in for a good run. You can get out of the West. I, you know, what my prediction is I, th- I think Toffoli ends up going to Calgary. I know it's it's a generic, like it's a it's a pretty straightforward process yeah. here, and like he's the the link here. But the, the point is that I watched Calgary last night and I watched them play against Toronto. And again, I don't like Toronto by any means, but Toronto's a good hockey team, and they took it to them, and they took it to them with first line scoring. Yeah. And they had Manjapani get involved. They had Backlund get involved. You know, they have Lucic on their fourth line. But the point is, is that Toffoli is that middleman within their lineup who, like you just mentioned, will provide that secondary scoring when Goudreau doesn't show up or when Kachuk doesn't show up 
or Lynn Holm. Good so it's like, true. I didn't even mention him. It, it, they have such an insane team where yeah. just adding that one more piece could be worth it. And for, the, for it to be worth it might be a more than a lot of speculators might think, right? Like you said, a Pelletier, a first-round pick, a Zari, or a Zari, whatever. Yeah. You know? So we have to keep that in mind and go in with, let's maximize. Let's maximize and make this process a little bit faster than it has to be. Because he's not a rental. You have him for four years. Or of course years. he's not, and and, he, and yeah. he's still playing. He's still playing at elite level yeah. hockey. Yeah, exactly. Like, so you have him for a few runs, and if it's going to cost you that prospect, but to me, to me, if it's not Pelche, you move somewhere else. Okay. And if it's not their top two prospect, you keep him. I agree, but then Unless again, they give us three first round picks, obviously. But like, you know what I mean? That's not yeah. going to happen. Right. Um, I feel like we're going in circles here, but the point is, is that then, then you, you, you go from that team and you go to the next team. You say, what are, what, just name me your prospects and rank them. And then top exactly. two guys, are those guys in play? No. Okay. Next. It, leverage, 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 leverage. We have you, to keep in mind that we might not, Chirot might not be valuable to us. And we know mm-hmm. that, but he is so valuable, even to a team like Colorado, who has no, no, no grid on that on that blue line. You have Gerard yeah. and Makar who are fairly, you know, offensive minded. Then you have Eric Johnson and Jack Johnson, but you need that that guy that can just be solid and take shots and hits or take yeah. block shots and hits, right? So it's it's leverage. It's leverage and maximizing. That's what it is. Because as sellers at the trade deadline, you have the highest you have the high ground. Well, that's you it. You have it because there's teams calling you for that player because they know first of all that other teams are calling for that exact same player. That that's the missing piece to their puzzle, or that they believe he's the missing piece of that puzzle. Um, so if they can maximize, I think the word is maximize in this, this scenario. You have to maximize the value of these players, and if they do so, and if they target the right players, the right prospects, um, it can be very successful. Not only moving forward, but then if you land all these prospects, the right ones, and then if you land the right picks at the draft. You're you're look you're looking really really good. Yeah, agree. Um, but um, we we mentioned Dallas. You, I think you mentioned Dallas before because For there's Petrie. been rumors. Yeah, there's been rumors that um, they would like to replace Klingberg for Petrie, and uh, obviously Klingberg would go somewhere else. Petrie would go there. Uh, yeah. Or even I've heard things that we take Klingberg to retain and then ship him somewhere else in a three way deal so that. Third team doesn't have to retain too much of it. Like okay. I don't know, because you can bounce around the player. Like, let's say you trade uh, Klingberg to Montreal. Dallas retains twenty five. The Habs trade Klingberg to X Colorado, X. right? And the Canadians trade uh, retain another twenty five. Right. So that okay. Dallas isn't retaining fifty, but they're but, still retaining and but they're yeah, using but, us as a middleman. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And I think I think that I even heard on thirty two thoughts too that they that they said like there was a question asked and they said. Look, like I, I think that three-way three-way trades are going to be going down a, a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, going forward, just because of the fact that a lot of teams are cap-strapped in this in this tight economy, yeah. and and it's and it's important to save every last penny almost. So for a team like to re, to go to you know to split up the fifty percent into 20, 20, 25, 25 for two teams could be very beneficial for a team like Montreal. Yeah, yeah, and um, and yeah, we mentioned Dallas because of Hudobin, who is going to hopefully leave. He's not playing there. He's not playing anymore on the ice mm-hmm. um, with their goalie situation. Um, and people want a guy to come in so that Primo can go to Laval and rightfully so Primo shouldn't be here. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to mention now that we've been talking about this. Um, what was I going to say? 
that the hockey trade aspect of just wanting to make a hockey trade, you can have you can acquire guys just for retaining cap, right? Like if if some guy wants to offload a a player, you take that bad contract plus a prospect. Well, look what for seventh look- round. Well, there you go, but but exactly, and look what and look what happened with Shane Gossespierre. I mean, we've yeah. talked about it on the show a couple of times, but they literally said Arizona take Gossespierre, take his take on his cap space, which they for did, nothing rightfully, and then they they got a second and a third additionally, mm-hmm. and now Gossespierre becomes an asset at the deadline, right? Yeah, exactly. he's playing first power play in Arizona. He, he's having a career year there in terms of well, not a career year, but point <laughs> point point being is that he's playing yeah. very well, and and now they they. They acquired him just to retain cap. They literally gave up nothing, like zero. Like I don't they gave think, up nothing. Yeah, I don't think anything went the other way. Mm-hmm. And Montreal was was, and Montreal's in a place to do that, right? Because again, we are cap strapped, unfortunately. But the point is that retaining cap space in our situation right now doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not putting that cap space to good use. You're not making a playoff run. You don't need to acquire someone to make a playoff run right now. So it, it doesn't matter to take on that extra million dollars in cap space if you have the room to do so. Like that Steve Mason deal, the Habs did. Yeah, like what? Like who cares? You get you're in free picks. It's exactly what it is. Um, so that that's just what I wanted to add. Yeah, so we'll move on to Caden Primo. Um, I think we've seen. You know, he shouldn't be here, and I'm not saying it's because he's not talented. He's just not ready. He's clearly not ready. And I've said this so many times. Like I, I even said it last year, and I feel like I'm repeating myself. He should play a full season in Laval without a call up, without a call down a full season, and a playoff run before he comes here. He's never done that. It's always a stretch in Laval. He gets called up to sit on the bench, maybe play one game on the road, and then called back down. But then this year, with all the injuries, with Jake Allen going down, with Price being sidelined, he's been playing a lot. Montembeau's on 100%. He's not ready to play, but he had to go in. And now it's, what, seven games in a row where you're switching goalies mid-game? It makes no sense. And when a goalie... I speak for myself because it's happened to me before where I've had hockey tryouts... And I felt like um, I couldn't stop a puck. I had no confidence. And when that thought goes into your mind and the shooter's coming in and he's about to shoot and you say, am I going to stop this? It's in the net already. It's already in the net. Right. If you're second guessing if you're going to stop it or not, it's already in the net. Right. And that's what it looks like. You could tell when Primo, when the puck goes in, he looks at the sky, he looks at the banners. Like he doesn't feel confident. So they need, they need to do something about it. It's bad. I mean, even if it's McNiven. I'd rather him get lit up than Primo. No offense. Right. And because be- and because Primo is is the presumably future. the guy going forward for mm-hmm. us. I mean, again, maybe not next year and maybe not the year after that even, but at some point it will be the case. And and look, again, it's common sense at this point, leaving this guy in, pulling him five times in the last seven games or vice versa with Montembeau, like it's just so bad for mm-hmm. the development of a young goalie. And look, like we've seen it in Carter Hart and hopefully for his case that he happens to turn it around. But like, I don't think that the Flyers like don't have confidence in Carter Hart. And again, they threw him into the fire relatively quickly. But mm-hmm. the point being is that now he's his confidence is so low that it's, he, that he can't even get it back to where it previously yeah. was at one point. And I'm scared that for Primo is that it's at an all time low to the point where if he doesn't ever play a full season in in Laval, I don't think he'll ever get to that point again. And and I and it scares me. Like let's say uh, Kent Hughes goes to trade for a goalie tomorrow, and they send Primo to Laval. He's going down to Laval after playing all these games, but getting absolutely lit up. Maybe he played, I think he played one good game against Colorado. The rest, he got absolutely lit up. How do you think he's going to show up to Montreal the next time he gets called up? The last time I was here, I got lit up every single game. Mm-hmm. 
and there's so much pressure on me making the next stop and there's so much pressure they're all watching me to make that next stop like hello especially when you're in an empty arena where the only person watching you is your boss but the only people watching you are the people above you it's It's it's, pretty it's, it's pretty scary it's too bad. And I mean, again, like you would know better than I do from a goalie perspective and you just mentioned it, but like, again, like from a mo- like from a motivation and confidence level, like I could just imagine where he's at right now mm-hmm. and it really, and it feels bad in it. And it almost feels like a legitimate necessity to go out and trade for someone with a little bit more experience. And look, say like, look, if we trade for Kudobin and say we retain some cap space, like, Throw Kudobin in there, and if he gets lit up, he gets lit up. The guy's played his years in the NHL. Like, no no offense, no yeah, disrespect yeah. to him. But it's the fact that, like, if he gets lit up, so be it. But we rather we rather Primo develop properly in the AHL for a full season than than, than have uh, Kudobin play well for us. Like, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's common sense at this point, and, like, it, it's hard to watch. And, like, last night, last night, look, I think that was the first time that the Habs um, allowed less than 25 shots in a game since I couldn't even tell you. Mm-hmm. And and he and he didn't play well. He didn't play well. Yeah, and look, I, I I do think that Montreal could have won the game. I don't want to say if it wasn't for him. I don't like to put the blame on the goalie. Yeah, yeah. But look, but at one point it's like you need to stop. You need to stop the the the, the easy shots, quote unquote, right? Yeah. So yeah. so, and does Montreal need to win that game? No. But it's more just about like the confidence and the and the I don't know how to put it. Like you know what I'm trying to get at. It's, here. it's the fact that the players they seem like they're getting close, but then a bad one squeaks by. And they're like, well, how are we going to come back in this game if we feel that every time they're going to shoot on net, they might go in. There's a high chance right. it goes in. You know what I mean? And it's deflating. It's deflating, yeah. It's the complete opposite of when Carey Price and Nets where you're like, even if we let them come in on a 2 on no, <laughs> there's probably still a 70% chance he saves oh, it, believe it or not. There you go, right? Um, well, I'm going to let you take this on. Um, okay. The news around the National Hockey League because sure. not only was there a lot in Habstown, but a lot, a lot around the league. So take it away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Dave Tippett is officially out of Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Finally, I, I say finally, but uh, look, I don't know what's going on there, and I really the want GM to should be team. out. I don't. Everyone, I, yeah, you know th- this really put. And I'm, I'm look. I feel like the host now, so I'm, I'm getting these responsibilities. I look, I look <laughs> cool, but um, but uh, I, I want to hear what you have to say um, surrounding you know the comments that Ken Holland made. I don't know if you're aware of them. I'm sure you saw them on Twitter, or maybe heard a clip or two. I don't think it gets much worse right there right now. I, I don't. And it really puts in question uh, the future of Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid in Edmonton, as crazy as that may sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's your take? Like, what, like, what is this, what does this tell you about, about Edmonton going forward, not only as a team, but as an organization? Like, do you think Holland is next? But, but up, upstairs, it doesn't seem as if they're, they seem to be budging on that. Usually when a GM fires his coach, He's the one who's next because you're bringing in a new guy, and now it's you. If that doesn't work out, it's you the the issue. Yeah. Um, like you just said about McDavid and Drysital, we've been saying this for a while now. A lot of people have been saying this. There's no chance this continues that it's going to be good on him or good on his future. There's no chance he's going to want to stay. Like it literally makes no sense. And this is from uh, Michael Trakos on Twitter. Four coaches in seven years for McDavid. 12 and 11 for Nugent Hopkins. 12 coaches. That's scary. That's a, Mark, that's scary. That's scary. And for McDavid to have four coaches in seven years, to have four guys not be able to take a team with the best player in the National Hockey League to a winning basis makes absolutely zero sense. It makes zero sense. And you know what the issue is? 
where people, you know, they're, they're taking out coaches, they're re- replacing them, but those coaches are getting jobs somewhere else. Todd McClellan is in LA right now. Remember him in Edmonton? Of course. He's in LA and LA's doing well. So it's not like he's a bad coach. There's clearly something else in Edmonton, and it's not might not be the coach. Obviously, I, we both know it's the guy upstairs. We both know it's the guy watching from above who can't put a decent lineup on the ice because he's too scared, doesn't want to make a move. It literally it makes absolutely zero sense how you're just recycling coaches to try and change something that won't change. It might change in the for the next 10 games because there's a little spark. Right. But in two years, the same issues are going to come back up. They don't have secondary scoring. Who knows what their goalie situation is going to be like. And the same situation is going to come up again. And they're going to fire that coach. So and, yeah. is it really the coach? I don't think so. Who know? Who know? We have no. And look, I, and like you said, there might be a little bit, of, a little, bit, a little bit of a spark. But I do think, I do think ultimately it's Ken Holland. I, I don't think this is. Mm. This should be his team anymore. But, but again, look, I'm looking at the lineup right now, and we always talk about their secondary scoring, right? So we talk about the fact that you know Warren Fogle, the Derek Ryan, the Tyler Benson, Ryan McLeod, Devin Shore. Like, first of all, I, I look, no disrespect to these players. I think that they're great in their individual ways. But the point is that I do it's not garbage. think that. Right, it is. Okay, yeah. No, we'll put it straight out. Yeah, right. They're good hockey players, but but as a unit, it's garbage. But then, Mark, you know know what what flies under the radar? Is the fact that their defensive core is not a defensive core. Mm -hmm. You could talk about Darnell Nurse, Evan Bouchard, um, Cody Ceci, and Tyson Barry all you want, but not one of those guys is good defensively. Not a single (laughs) one. Not a single Mm -hmm. one. And then you have the problem in Nets, right? So you have all these problems at every single level. And Ken Holland still does not believe in trading his first round pick when you have the two best players on the earth debatably right mm-hmm. whatever two of the top five players on the earth two mm-hmm. of the top three players on the earth. it blows my mind and it bothers me because it almost makes me feel like i'm sitting here and i can do a better job but yeah. there, there's got to be something i'm missing mark like it is impossible that you have william Lagason on your second unit and i don't even know who this guy is and i think i know hockey pretty well but who who is marcus nimalainen who is that guy you know first of all in edmonton there's always some random ass guy who just shows up in the bottom six, but but if I'm the GM of the Edmonton Oilers and I'm watching and I'm going into a, a best of five series against the Chicago Blackhawks, who at the time were not doing very well in the bubble, mm-hmm. they were right above the Montreal Canadiens. The Montreal Canadiens ended up being the Pittsburgh Penguins, magic, magic story. They don't want Lafreniere, all that stuff. Put us put aside that stuff because in Montreal, that's all we were talking about. But people forgot that in Edmonton, they lost the best of five series to the Chicago Blackhawks when they had McDavid and Dreisaitl in a best of five series where they just need to take over a few games and it's done. It's done. It's that quick. It's not like it's seven games where you know it gets tiring towards the end. There's a lot of battles. Right. Best of five, they could take over right away. And they lost. And they didn't change anything. How does that not? How does that not ring a bell? How does not? How does an alarm system not go off in Rogers Center? Going, guys, come on, this makes no sense. You need to build around these guys. And and right? Mark, you know what? People people at home might be wondering, like, why are you guys so pressed about Edmonton? And you know what? It's not the fact that we're pressed about Edmonton. It's more just we're fans of the game, and it's the mm, fact that you yeah. have two of these two great players that see. McDavid's been in the league for seven years. Can you imagine that? Because for me, it doesn't. Yeah, it still that makes seems no surreal. Sense. Yeah, it seems surreal. But the point being is that seven seasons in, 
is where you're hitting your prime. And again, McDavid is the best player on earth. But the point is that right now is where he's going to do the most damage. And, you know, in three years from now, who knows where he'll be. And I'm sure he'll still be playing at an incredibly elite level. But you have such, your window is closing very fast, very, yeah. very fast with these guys. And it's to what point is, are we going to say, what, and, what, and when are we going to have the conversation? It's like, in 30 years from now, I was like, McDavid was such a great hockey player, but it's too bad that he never won anything. Yeah. And it's going to be like, oh, what a missed opportunity for such a great hockey player who probably will go down as the best. I, I don't want to ruffle any feathers here, skilled. but the most skilled hockey player of all time. Mm -hmm. It's annoying and it sucks because we love the sport so much and you want to see these guys succeed. Like, and this probably, it's the last thing I'm going to say on it. Um, it's not like they're getting... It's not like throughout this whole time of losing, they're getting prospects. Their prospect pool sucks. They ha they do have um, what's his name out of Wisconsin. Um, now I'm blanking. He's not there anymore. He's in their farm system. He played with Caulfield. They were like a one-two duo. Um, if you guys are shut up for me, that'd be amazing. I will. I will continue though. But they have barely any prospects except for him. Mm -hmm. They have no picks because they're always mid, and there's no guys that can. Dylan Holloway. Dylan Holloway. Okay, he's but, very good. Yeah, he's a very yeah. good hockey player. He's a very good hockey yeah. player. But like, look, their last first round pick that was significant that they were all excited about was Evan Bouchard. Is he really that good? I'd, I'd rather have Caden Gooley. Mark, uh, they also do have Philip Broberg. I'll give them that. I'll give them okay, that. Okay, Broberg. Yeah, but he had a horrible but, World Juniors, but, but still. But Mark, if, if can I if I can read the list real quickly for you and let me know if you even know of any of these guys: Raphael Lavoie, Tyler Tulio, yeah, Matt Vay yeah. Petrov. That name seems to ring a bell, but maybe it's just because I'm thinking of Oleg Petrov. But Ostap <laughs> Safin, like I know none of these guys, and it's concerning because of the fact that you have a you have a pretty decent team on paper, but you also don't. It doesn't seem like you have any future going forward here. Yeah, so if you're McDavid, you go, well, there's no guys in the pipeline. And we're not winning now. Every year I'm being thrown a new winger that they find a free agency for 1.5 million, whether it's Andreas Afanasiu or Jesse Pugliarvi, where they brought him up finally. Um, what's going to happen? What's his future looking like? Because you can't just add a, you can't in one season start acquiring crazy talent. This should have been, if they were building this up, if they were losing all the, or being mid this whole time, but. He's still bringing in pieces that might help in the future. He's not doing anything. Like, there's really no movement. But, anyways, I, I, it, it's, I feel it's, like I'm just, repeating myself. No, yeah, we, we are. But it, it's, it's just too bad. It's, it's whatever. It, look, yeah. and again, it, I almost, it's funny because I almost rather be in the Montreal Canadiens situation right now than the Oilers situation. And, like, yeah. I mean, it seems almost pretty obvious, right? But it's like, imagine saying that when, when one team's best player, again, no disrespect to Nick Suzuki, great great goddamn hockey player but your best yeah. player is nick suzuki and the other one has Connor mcdavid and their second best player is leon dreisaitl like and and yeah. i'd rather be in montreal's position that's insane to me yeah but but we're reaching on. the hour mark um, we've been having a great time here i mean this honestly is, this is a very good episode i like this one uh, yeah, a lot, me, a lot of fun too. topics um, um do we want to talk about the potential just to finish off on the nhl news the potential return of jack eichel on february 16th oh, yeah. or february 18th potentially and did you see that in order to make that happen, right? People were saying, you know, uh, certain waiver moves, trades, whatever they have to move, Riley Smith, William Carlson, uh, whatever the case may be. But, but now, right. But now it seems as if they're just going to throw, uh, throw Mark Stone on LTIR. They're taking notes from uh, a certain team who wears blue and white. And look, I, I think, I think it makes sense. Look, uh, Mark Stone's made of glass. Doesn't, can't, cannot stay healthy for the yeah. life of him. And uh, Which is too bad. I hate players like that. I and, feel bad and you know for what? Them. And he's such like he's not even a flashy hockey player, but it's the fact that he just he he's he's the type of guy that does everything right at both yeah. ends of the ice. So it, it it sucks. But 
but again, it's going to be interesting to see Eichel on a good hockey team. Like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of excited for that. Hopefully, you know, he has he's flying out there. Talk but, about finding the right prospect in a trade. That's what Ottawa missed on in that Stone deal. Brandstrom is not that guy. Remember they were saying when they acquired him, oh, next Eric Carlson. No, and, they, so, they and really I and missed. I thought and I thought that too. Honestly, at first yeah, I really did believe in his talent. I did. It's too bad. It's too bad. Yeah, they they missed on that trade, and that's why the Canadians literally every single player, whether it's Arturi Lekkinen or Ben Sherat or Toffoli or whatever the names we listed, you got to hit on every single one if you want to accelerate this process. Right. And and but but let's let's look at the opposite side of things and look at the positive. Like it's still the fact that um, when the Sens were making these trades, they still had the right idea in mind. Now, unfortunately, yeah. Branstrom didn't work out, but but he was still a top two prospect within their system, right? So they were like, "Look, we'll give you Stone, like no problem." And like he's mm-hmm. one of our better players, but we hold the leverage. Now you're going to give us you, one of your two best prospects and picks, and that's just how it's going to work. And look, like yeah. I, I really do think the Sens are treading in the right direction. So, oh yeah, for sure, for, for sure. Them. Um. So yeah, Eichel. Um. You know, apparently people want to see this from the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast. Um. I I know exactly. Jeff Marrick was mentioning yeah. that. He was supposed to. Eat the, there was rumors that he was going to make a special appearance at the All Star game. That would have been that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, like Petrangelo's stupid drum. Well, stupid drummers. The drummers are cool, but his shot, his stupid shot. I can't um, believe he won. We didn't even talk yeah, about the really, All Star game. I mean, it's not really. Yeah, it's, whatever. Um, but yeah, if he would have the drummers are playing and he goes, wait, I need help on this one, and Eichel comes out, and that would have been cool. Does a lap with his stick in the air. <laughs> yeah, but I guess not. I guess not. Yeah, whatever. Or if, the... or if they did the magic trick and then. Instead of a baby Hughes, it's Jack Eichel. That would have been funny, but no disrespect <laughs> to the NHL. But I mean, they they miss. They they can consistently miss. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not. I, again, they, I love the league, but they they Gary Bettman misses a lot. They changed um some good things like styrofoam targets, which was a good thing to bring it back. So they brought back some. No, I'm just honestly, it's. I don't, it's I, are small, you being serious right now? I don't. Even no, know it's a small okay. change <laughs> that. You know when they're shooting at panels that are lighting up at different times, and they hit the panel, but it doesn't register because the right, electronic. Okay. okay. Just put a styrofoam thing. Why but, is it? Why are there yellow and blue panels being lit up? I love, I love the things you notice, like like the cup holders at the Bell Center. That's my favorite. No, That's my favorite yeah, that was, comment that was from amazing. you. Yeah. But I was gonna also say that I was again on thirty two thoughts. I think we, I think we might as well uh, write a little bibliography. Might like, as well for, join them. Yeah, might or as well they join us. Or, yeah, no problem. A little, a little, no uh, problem. Collaboration. No problem. <laughs> but uh, I, they had, they had a guest on the guy that kind of runs all these bigger events for them, and I don't know if you listened to that one, but he basically no. was saying like. Um, yeah, we're really excited. Like we have these cool new, like, uh, you know, um, uh, what's like events at the all-star game and all that stuff. And I was like, honestly, it's cool, but I just feel like they, they might need a younger person on that team, on their events team to be able to like, because I I feel like the guy was like probably in his late fifth, like late forties, maybe like mid fifties type of thing. Like I couldn't tell from his voice, Mm -hmm. but, but basically it's like, what did you want? Like maybe someone like in their twenties, like to, to give you like some inspiration for like what the young kids want to see. Because again, the all-star game is not about the 25 year old to 30 year old fans. It's It's about the 14 year olds. It's about, yeah. And even the eight, nine year olds, like, like, and I I don't know if you went, but I know a bunch of our friends went to the 2009 all-star game. Yeah, I was there. Like, the like that, competition, but yeah. that was so cool for you, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. it's it's about the younger kids and 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 allowing them to at one point like get into get into the NHL and get into hockey. I didn't so, want to go. Really? Um, Why not? Because I was told that we were going by my parents, and I, I was under the impression that all my favorite house players were going to be there, and Saku Koivu wasn't an all star. Oh, so I didn't want to go deflated. because he wasn't there. Obviously, I had to sit there and watch Ovechkin for me. <laughs> is that is that when he did like when he put on the hat and 
like and the yeah, fastest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an iconic moment to be an honest. Iconic though. moment, yeah. The goat. Um, anyway, I don't know how we got to the All Star game. Oh, we were saying like how they miss and stuff. But... Yeah, how they miss usually. Um, but we'll talk about uh, the next game for the Habs. Yeah, but which you is know... against. Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say, are you, are you like, I, like I'm kind of interested to watch the rest of the games this season now under St. Louis, like kind of see like oh, yeah. the change in play style a little bit. I, I like watching when uh, I don't feel bad for uh, a player or for like I feel bad for Primo. I don't like watching him lose like that. But if they're right. going, if they're going out and they're making it competitive and everyone's happy, uh, sure, I'll watch. Right. Uh, yeah. No, for sure, I agree with that. So they play against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, That's tomorrow afternoon. Exactly. It's Saturday. Oh, yeah. It's 12 30. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Super Bowl weekend. That's true. Um, oh, man. It's been distracting. <laughs> I hate those afternoon games. I'm always like, I'm going to have a good, productive day of studying and then. Never, the never play. works out. And the Habs play. Or... Anyways. Too bad. Um, the last time I played Columbus was actually a few days ago. They lost six to three. It was pretty embarrassing. Um, Zach Renzi looks like an absolute animal, by the way. That guy looks, that guy's so good at hockey. Yeah, like, he's great. Like, the guy, I don't know. The guy just skates so well. Anyways, I like. I really. Like I think. Zachary. I think he's worth his contract. That's for sure. Yeah, but he's just a great hockey player, and they got so much of that stuff. Jones, they'll talk about maximizing pro uh, a player. Holy, that's it. We don't even need to go back. I think we should title this maximizing. Like just, Maxim- just... maximizing players. Yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, no, maximizing return. I don't know. Whatever, no, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, we'll, or you'll we'll, figure it out. Oh yeah, I'll probably just do something about the coaching change. I think we we forgot that Marty St. Louis is the coach of the Montreal Canadiens. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll start with, uh, or we'll do. We'll not start with. It's an hour and eight minutes. <laughs> Bold predictions against the Columbus Blue Jackets on a nice afternoon or Saturday. Well, afternoon. Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm pumped about this one. I I think I'm gonna go with. Uh, I remember our last predictions. <laughs> I think I said. I think I said Romanov fights a Vander Kane in his first yeah. game or something. Maybe Marty St. Louis laces them up for t- for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh god um Imagine. stop <laughs> um, guys guys are rocking petrie's 26 he's like let me take over your garbage <laughs> no offense though um i'm gonna go uh, i i love i love the i'm gonna stick on the cole caulfield trend here i'm gonna say two okay, goals cool. from, cole, from cole caulfield tomorrow um i honestly have no Columbus is such a boring team. Like I know we're boring, but they're very boring. They're very boring, but they won't be soon. No, they won't. They have a they have a yeah. great, they have some great prospects in that system. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with a, a goal, just a goal because it's very bold for this sure. player. No uh, Yoel Armia. I like it. No I like problem. It. Yoel's gonna get it done. Actually, yeah. Did you did you see when uh, Lekkinen like? just like i don't know how he missed like a, two games ago against new jersey like it like uh, whatever i don't even know if you know what i'm talking oh, about oh i do know what you're talking about when he batted it yeah and like it like it looked like it went in and then it just didn't like i don't know how to it, it like went in and out like or it just hit the it was so weird i was really watching them and go obviously like it into that and then my phone starts buzzing twitter and everyone's saying what a lekanen thing to do classic (laughs) lekanen but you know Uh, what like he's been playing well and i think that like this is great for trade deadline right like it's right in time yeah so hopefully pots a few more um no problem problem. but uh but yeah so we have our bull predictions um i think we covered a lot today we did it was very fun we we had a good time and And, uh what and and just to point out to the listeners uh hopefully you guys got a chance to listen to the uh our last episode with mm-hmm. uh with the um the guests. guests yeah and 
Mark and I have been discussing a little bit, like the potential of doing it in maybe a couple, two to three weeks from now. Um, again, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you guys are interested, keep that in mind. Like, uh, if you like what you saw last time, maybe you guys can give your input, your insight. It's like, it's like joining, the, joining the Tony Marinaro morning show, right? Like yeah, just give, exactly. just give, just say whatever you want for 10 yeah. minutes. That's what we upped it to. So, Literally. um, yeah, just to keep that in mind and, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, keep to keep track on all that news, you know, you know where to follow us, Instagram, Twitter. Um, yeah, it's down yeah. below, but this video is yeah, not going on yeah. YouTube. Um, but yeah, at Habs Culture on both platforms. Hat, well, at Habs, there's an, at, yeah, there's an yeah. underscore for Twitter, Habs underscore culture. Then Instagram, it's all Habs Culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we, we thank you once again for tuning in. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. There was a lot of talk about trades, rumors. We talked about everything. So hopefully you enjoyed at least one aspect of the conversation. And uh, we're excited to, to move on and see what happens. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Have a good one, guys.